You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. There's international consensus on the cyber attack against Viasat. Kaspersky remains under investigation. The Nerbian rat is out. NPM dependencies are exploited, but to what end? Caleb Barlow examines Russia's future on the Internet. Our guest is Deepin Desai from Zscaler with the latest phishing research and new advisories from CISA and its partners. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, May 11th, 2022. We saw yesterday that the European Union had formally attributed the cyber attack against Viasat's KASAT network which took place an hour before combat operations began in Ukraine, to Russia. Other allied governments were quick to second that attribution. The U.S. Department of State said after drawing attention to Russian use of wiper malware in its cyber prep, Today, in support of the European Union and other partners, the United States is sharing publicly its assessment that Russia launched cyber attacks in late February against commercial satellite communications networks, to disrupt Ukrainian command and control during the invasion, and those actions had spillover impacts into other European countries. The activity disabled very small aperture terminals in Ukraine and across Europe. This includes tens of thousands of terminals outside of Ukraine that, among other things, support wind turbines and provide Internet services to private citizens. CISA updated their March 17th alert, strengthening cybersecurity of SATCOM network providers and customers to explain that the threat to SATCOM networks they warned about was indeed a Russian threat. The attribution offered by Britain's NCSC is more specific. It calls out Russian military intelligence, the GRU, as the organization responsible for the cyber attack. Estonia is equally specific. They say... It can be stated with high certainty that the GRU was behind these attacks. 
According to The Telegraph, the British government also sees the cyber attacks against the German wind turbine sector as collateral damage of the PrEP fire directed against Ukraine's internet. Both the British Foreign Minister and the U.S. Secretary of State emphasized this indiscriminate aspect of the Russian cyber attack. NBC News quotes British Foreign Secretary Liz Truss as saying in a news release, This is clear and shocking evidence of a deliberate and malicious attack by Russia against Ukraine, which had significant consequences on ordinary people and businesses in Ukraine and across Europe. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken made the same point. He said, Russia launched cyber attacks in late February against commercial satellite communications networks to disrupt Ukraine command and control during the invasion, and those actions had spillover impacts into other European countries. Both Canada and Australia joined the other five eyes in the condemnation of Russia's disruption of Viasat's KASAT network. For governments that aren't parties to the conflict, their open hostility to Russia's special military operation and their support for Ukraine are striking and unambiguous. MIT Technology Review's coverage of the cyber attack on Viasat terminals concludes that further attacks are possible, perhaps probable. The Russians used the acid rain wiper against the systems, and acid rain is striking in its general purpose adaptability. Technology Review quotes Sentinel-1 researcher Andrei Guerrero Sade, who says, What's massively concerning about acid rain is that they've taken all the safety checks off. With previous wipers, the Russians were careful to only execute on specific devices. Now, those safety checks are gone, and they are brute-forcing. They have a capability they can reuse. The question is, what supply chain attack will we see next? Bloomberg covers the ongoing investigation of Kaspersky security software as a potential security threat, quoting Rob Joyce, head of NSA's Cybersecurity Directorate, on the risk he thinks Kaspersky poses to U.S. companies. Joyce stated, I am still very worried about U.S. companies that are using Kaspersky. We think that it is ill-advised with this global situation. In one respect, this is a supply chain issue. Kaspersky software is white-labeled inside many widely used devices. Joyce said, So there are routers, for example, that come with a Kaspersky engine inside them, and it's not clear people understand that that's buried inside a product that looks U.S. or Western. So we're trying to understand where those risks are in the supply chain and where the biggest ones exist. Kaspersky, it's fair to note, has long denied that it's under Kremlin control. Proofpoint issued a report this morning which describes a new OS-agnostic rat written in the increasingly popular Go language. The researchers call it Nerbian and say that it leverages multiple anti-analysis components spread across several stages, including multiple open-source libraries. Reversing Labs blogged yesterday about an NPM dependency confusion that's been exploited recently in attacks against large German firms. Reversing Labs said, New NPM packages discovered last week by Reversing Labs appears to target a major German media conglomerate as well as a major rail and logistics operator, the packages are similar to those discovered by researchers at the firm Sneak and disclosed in late April. It's unclear who was behind the attacks, what their objectives were, or even how successful they were, but it seems clear that NPM attacks are more widespread than previously believed. 
JFrog, which has also been tracking the incidents, sees similar ambiguity and thinks the attacks could be the work of either a sophisticated threat actor or an unusually aggressive penetration tester. CISA yesterday released six industrial control system security advisories. CISA also added two vulnerabilities to its known exploited vulnerabilities catalog, the Microsoft Windows LSA spoofing vulnerability and F5's Big IP missing authentication vulnerability. Fixes are available for both of them. And finally, concerned about a growing threat to managed service providers, the Five Eyes have issued a joint alert with advice to MSPs and their customers on preventing and responding to cyber attacks staged against and through MSPs. The advice is a familiar set of best practices, but no less valuable for that. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Zscaler recently released the latest edition of their annual phishing report, documenting the trends they track using a combination of their own internal telemetry and outside sources. It's no surprise that phishing continues to be an attractive and effective technique for threat actors. Deepin Desai is Chief Information Security Officer at Zscaler. So what we noticed was retail and wholesale industries were among the most targeted ones, experiencing over 400% increase in phishing attacks over the last 12 months. The team also saw, you know, uh, dissected the data based on the regions uh, that were being targeted by the attackers. Uh, we noticed uh, United States uh, being at the top, uh, accounting for more than 60% of all the phishing attacks that were, uh, that were seen. Uh, followed by Singapore, Germany, Netherlands, and the UK. 
The third uh, key finding that I'll call out is uh, new phishing delivery vectors such as SMS phishing. It's also called smishing, right? This is where the threat actors are using SMS to deliver uh, the phishing link to the end user. And this is because, I mean, more and more users are becoming uh, wary of suspicious emails, you know, looking at different telltale signs on their computer, but they're often more, you know, lenient when they're clicking on links that they see from, uh, from a user on their cell phone, right? And these are SMS arriving from banks, uh, retail vendors, and so on and so forth. So we saw 700% increase in the first half of 2021 uh, in smishing attacks as well. You know, one of the things that you highlight here is this notion of phishing as a service um, where, where, you know, folks can go and, and basically buy these prepackaged kits. Can, can you take me through this? I mean, suppose I'm someone who's looking to, I don't know, you know, r- r- branch out on my own and do this mm-hmm. sort of thing. How would I go about it? Yeah, it's very easy, and I hope you're not going to do that. But it's really, <laughs> it's really easy uh, uh, with this uh, phishing as a service offering, right? So, what essentially it provides the cyber criminal is an easy way to uh, deploy, uh, you know, phishing sites at scale. And I'm not talking about you uh, deploying a phishing page on one website, but hundreds of uh, sites at a given time. There are pre-cooked templates uh, based on the brand that you're trying to target. Um, uh, no spelling mistakes, right? They've taken care of all the, um, you know, fields that make those pages look really authentic. So making it more professional, uh, making it easier to deploy at scale, and uh, honestly, creating a greater chance for uh, making those phishing uh, campaigns successful as far as, uh, you know, the end user clicking on the link and entering the information is concerned. What are your recommendations for folks to best protect themselves against this? Yeah, so, um, I mean, just like any attack campaigns, uh, phishing involves, uh, I mean, it starts with your end user, right? So they're targeting, uh, uh, end users are often co- uh, referred to as weakest link, uh, um, right? They, they target the social engineering aspect where they're trying to convince a user into believing that the link or the page that they're visiting uh, is indeed the, the service for which uh, they're trying to harvest credentials or at times are trying to plant a malware payload. So number one thing I would recommend is, you know, continue to make your security awareness training course as dynamic as possible. Right? You need to update the training content uh, to make the user aware of all the newer techniques. Uh, the one that I mentioned, smishing, for instance. Right? They, there should be some level of training on that part as well. The second most important thing is test it, right? All the security controls that you have in place, all the training that you do for your end users, uh, you need to have simulated phishing attacks. Uh, right? It's a, uh, or you could call it red teaming, right? You need to have those uh, simulations done to see whether your users are still making the, those mistakes, whether your security controls are doing the job of blocking those attacks. And Training the user at the time of incident is critical, right? You could do all the training beforehand or after uh, an incident, but when the incident is happening, 
if your security stack is able to train the user, notify the user, assist the user in not making mistakes. I think that, that, that that's the third piece that I would mention. That's Deepan Desai from Zscaler. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is our CyberWire contributor, Caleb Barlow. Caleb, always great to welcome you back to the show. Uh, you know, we're all tracking the situation going on here with the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, and some of the fallout from that is as more and more services seem to be decoupling themselves from uh, interacting with the Russian economy. I want to check in with you on this. Where do you think we're headed here? Well, for years, we've all talked about what does a cyber war look like? And, I, you know, I remember once even on CNN being asked, you know, hey, is there a future cyber Armageddon coming? And I think mm. people often thought about, you know, the crossover from the cyber realm into the kinetic realm. You know, lo letting loose the water to dams, shutting off a city's electricity. I mean, we've all, anyone in the cybersecurity space has had this conversation or been asked the question of, you know, is this in the art of the possible? Right. And, you know, we've even seen the Russians try that historically in Ukraine, turning the power off and things like that. And I don't want to belittle that that is not a possibility. I mean, critical infrastructure attacks are certainly a real possibility. But I don't think what we ever thought about was the impact of private services just getting turned off during wartime, where either government action or private sector companies saying, hey, I'm not going to do work with this entity anymore. And, you know, this kind of cancel culture of these things being turned off and where Russia is fighting a kinetic war, you know, tanks and soldiers on the ground, the U.S. and Western allies are clearly fighting an economic war, right? Sanctions and, you know, things that are very devastating to the Russian economy in the long term. But cyber is unfolding in a very intriguing way, which is kind of this cancel culture in the, you know, imagine the impact long term of not being able to get access to silicon, not being able to get access to new computers, routers, all these things that can't be sold in Russia anymore, either because of government sanctions or just simply because private sector companies are saying, hey, I'm pulling out, I'm not doing business there anymore. This is a part of the playbook I don't think anybody really thought through. And where this could get more interesting is up to this point, most of the dialogue has been about the purchase of physical devices, you know, a router, a, a computer, computer chips, things like that. You know, the, the telcos, for example, have said, hey, we're not going to do new business in Russia, but they're not shutting off existing business to date. If 
you know, if you take AT&T, Verizon, Lumen, I mean, they move a very large percentage of global internet traffic. If we ever got to the point either through a large-scale cyber attack, an action from government, or some some other factor where one of these companies said, hey, we're just not going to route this traffic anymore. We're going to stop the peering relationships. That's going to force the Russian economy back to the days of a 1,200-baud modem. I mean, mm-hmm. it, w- it wouldn't disconnect them from the internet, I don't think, but it would degrade services to a point that would be mind-numbing. I mean, I was looking around this morning, the n- number one used app in Russia, the number one visited website is YouTube. What happens if you can't get to that anymore? 91 million Russians are using YouTube. Does Russia have a future that looks like North Korea's where, you know, they're, they're, they, they're, uh, the rest of the world community uh, makes it so that they have to be self-contained? I don't know. I, I mean, I think, but I think these are the kinds of questions we have to start asking ourselves, both government and private sector because there's a new tool here we really never thought about. We never thought about how do we use it? When do we use it? Where do we use it? Is it even a good idea to use it? I mean, mm-hmm. the better access Russians have to the internet, the better our ability to you know push past Russian propaganda for a whole variety of reasons, right? Um, right. So there's a lot of reasons to say, hey, you want to keep these activities moving as much as you can. But in many cases, the decision of to do or not to do business is going to actually be held with the CEOs of private sector companies. And, and that's a part of this kind of new genre of warfare that I don't think anybody ever thought through. Also, it adds a level of coercion, if you will, into the equation that I don't think we've ever thought about. I mean, when we thought, think about coercion relative to an attack, whether it be a cyber attack or a kinetic attack, the normal ways we thought about that is, you know, someone, you know, person A launches a missile into person B's territory and person B fights back with another missile or maybe right. economic sanctions or maybe something else. We never thought about the idea of, oh, yeah, you just you can't get to YouTube. You can't get to Amazon. You can't get to Microsoft. Like that's a whole new realm of discussion as the world now operates largely remotely thanks to the pandemic in, a, in the cyber realm. And we've got to really start thinking about what that means. Hmm. Right. So perhaps a, a global conversation here. You know, these, these are the, as we talk about things like the, the norms of war and, and so on and so forth, does this need to be part of future conversations? Absolutely. And, you know, yeah. much, much like economic sanctions have a huge impact, so do these, and I don't even know what you call it, but cyber sanctions, right? Like your lack of ability to get to cloud environments or network at speed will definitely have an impact on any economy. All right. Well, Caleb Barlow, thanks for joining us. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Rachel Gelfin, Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 